Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, Sean and myself delighted today to invite um, Carol Jason as our guest. Now, Carol has been a professional musician for over 50 years, uh, working and living mostly in Manchester. Um, Early on in her career, she uh, came into the orbit of Kennedy Street Enterprises, Harvey Lisberg and Graham Goldman, and her band, Black, Brown and Beige, were signed and did some very exciting recordings. This is mostly in 1967. Um, And not only that, uh, Carol has unearthed some incredibly rare acetates to illustrate um, some of that very exciting time. So we're we're really excited to talk to Carol today. Welcome, Carol. It's lovely to have you here. Absolutely. Warm welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Paul and Sean. It's been very exciting for me to delve back into the past and relive those heady days with black, brown and beige. In those days, we called ourselves a group, not a band. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) And um, to actually find my diary of 1967, because I was looking through all the years from about 1966 onwards to find the exact year that all these exciting things happened to us. The whole excitement of Black, Brown and Beige being connected with Kennedy Street, being managed by Harvey, being involved with Graham musically on many, many, many occasions. Both Harvey and Graham's names are in my lovely green biro. Look at that. Because I wrote in green because... I believed it would be more exciting to write this exciting story in green. (laughs) And uh, there's an entry absolutely every day, even when I'm very tired or I've got a cold. Wow. Wow. Well, we're we're going to go into some detail uh, into that very exciting period of 1967 and and we'll be led uh, by your diaries. And and when we uh, when we come across a date which references a particular acetate which we now have our hands on, we're we're, del- we're really thrilled to to play you these. Before we get to there, um, I know you come from a musical family, Carol. Can you just give us a little? Can you tell us about your your musical family and 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 your early early career, your very early career, I suppose. <laughs> As a child, uh, my sister and I, my sister's five years younger than me, Joanne, our house was always filled with music. Mummy listened to Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin in the front room. Mm -hmm. And Daddy listened to Duke Ellington and Count Basie and Ella Fitzgerald Ah. in the back room. And it was the house that I think was described as the sunshine semi. (laughs) And it was very fashionable. To, f- to knock the wall down in between, to have a great big room. That would yeah. never happen in our house. We <laughs> had the wall in between so that the mummy was in the front room with classical music and daddy was in the back room uh, with all the big band jazz and all the jazz standards. Yeah. 
Um, my sister, um, incredibly talented, piano, guitar, um, clarinet, flute. She started songwriting at, 13, at the age of 13. So between the four of, I was just playing a rhythm guitar there then okay. in those okay. days. So between the four of us, mummy on the piano, uh, daddy on the drums or percussion, my sister and I singing in harmony, me on rhythm guitar and Joanne either with clarinet um, and singing together in harmony, we had our own family group. We were the original Jacksons. The Jackson <laughs> Brilliant. Family. We were the Jackson family and we played at, um, for local charities, um, mm. in the synagogue, uh, for social events, um, for Christie Hospital. But that gave me the love of an audience and entertaining and performing. And I knew in those early days, reel me in. Yes. This is what I want to do. <laughs> Tell us, Carol, um, once you'd, you'd had the, the, the tutelage from, from your, your mum and dad, particularly your dad, what was your first band, or should, should I say group project? Was it immediately into the world of Black, Brown, Black, and, Brown and Beige? Black, Brown and Beige, oh yeah. They were, they were the first. I, I think inspired by a Duke Ellington album title, is that right? Incredibly, yes. <laughs> show you this um i'd need to look up what year this is but it would be i know by what we're wearing prior <laughs> to 19 um, our hairstyles it would be prior to 1967 so it might be 65 um i mean I, it's easy now to find this information so oh, okay. i would be able to look at when duke ellington and his orchestra and my dad who obviously had the gift of the gab he taught the talk <laughs> Um, was able to negotiate um, for us, just the two of us, to go backstage to meet Duke Ellington. Mm, wow. That's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> and I was quite in awe. I was a little bit scared, actually, um, yeah. because um, he was... It must have been at the end of the concert because he was completely draped in... He must have been wet through, poor fellow. I'm sure he didn't really want to be meeting people. He was absolutely from head to toe in white toweling, like in a huge white robe with a huge white turban on his head. And I was a little bit, I was a little bit in awe. Um, yeah. I was a lot in awe, um, but daddy was daddy. And daddy showed him this photograph and he's written the most beautiful acknowledgement to us. And yes. he's written to the beauties of black, brown and beige, mm. good luck, love, and that will say Duke Ellington. That is incredible. Oh, I mean, look at that. that's a, amazing. Yeah, I wish our listeners could see this, uh, but uh, that is a, a yeah a, a photo a, a photograph signed by the great Duke Ellington with a personal a personal message. Sir, I mean, that, Sir Duke. Nani Karatunian right. is daughter of an Armenian priest. She was born in Syria. And from what I recall, her family moved, came to Manchester when she was about seven. So she was um, educated here. Right. Mm -hmm. And we, we met then. 
She had a group of girls around her and I was just drawn into the circle mm. because she was charismatic mm-hmm. and beautiful. And then I found out that she sang and she was already friendly with the most beautiful looking blonde girl called Mavis. And according to my diary in 1963, I met Mavis on the 7th of August. Right. So, but those two already had a very, very firm friendship. So I was like the third one to come in. So I wouldn't, I did spend a lot of time with Nan and I together. And then my last entry for 1963 is that on the 9th of November, we had a great rehearsal and we're preparing for gigs. Wow. Now, was there, um, you probably heard Graham Nash and Stephen Stills and David Crosby talk about this moment when they first sang together, the three of them. Was there a CSN moment for Black, Bound and Beige where the first time you sort of put together a three-part harmony and you thought, wow, this is, this is going to work? Very much so. Mm. Right. Very much so. Um, and that would happen in a classroom and we're all sitting on the desks. And of course, we've got all our skirts rolled up and our sleeves pushed up. And yeah. it's one lunchtime and we're in somebody's classroom and we're swinging <laughs> our legs on the desk hmm. and we just start singing. And Can you remember takes... what song it was? No. Okay. Nanny takes the lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a Peter, Paul and Mary song. Okay, right. But Nanny takes the lead. Mavis, naturally, is a higher voice. How many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind And I could always put you know, the third harmony, mm. the one that's yes. the hardest one to find. Yeah, that's know. right. Yes. You both know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. The lower but ones own, the lower ones are harder, aren't they? Yeah. But my own personal training had been just at home in the kitchen with the transistor radio, listening to Radio Luxembourg, listening to Radio Caroline mm. and harmonising with every single song that came on. Yes. Whether the song needed a harmony or not, <laughs> that's what taught me when certain harmonies don't work or not necessary. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I know you do, which is one of which I love. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) And um, how long was it before you were playing gigs? And what what kind of material were you playing? Did you write stuff, Carol, or was it all Peter, Paul and Mary type covers? It was Peter, Paul and Mary, but we were quite... Now, when I was talking to Paul, I was trying to find the right word. (laughs) without sounding snobby. Um, it was sort of academic, if you like. It right. was, it, we weren't going anywhere near the pop world because none of our voices were suitable. But so I taught Mavis to play the guitar uh, and that was really easy to do because, I mean, I'd learned the guitar by just watching, oh, where do you put your fingers? Hmm. Well, that's nice. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, those, oh, C and then A minor. Dum, da, 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 dum, dum, da, dum. Happy birthday, sweet 16. <laughs> so, you know, you're discovering that, you know, yes. that 
those chords. The, the magic in, in the chord, yes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the most exciting moment I had, because later on I'll tell you about all the conversations I had with Graham about chords, um, when it was a Neil Sedaka song. Yeah, a chord of C. Tonight's the night, E7. I've waited for A minor yeah. because you're not a baby C7 anymore. Oh, <laughs> the joy of discovering that. Yes. Yeah, it's like a new world opening up, actually, isn't it? it you know, it somehow. It was unbelievable. to Black, Brown and Beige, I did sing in a Jewish folk group that was called the Shalom group. You probably, Shalom meaning peace. Yes. Um, and the theme tune, you probably heard it. So that was the Shalom oh, yes. group. Right. And um, one of uh, my first TV appearance was with them. I was 15. Oh, okay. Um, and because Johnny Hamp, who was a very well-known Granada producer, he heard about us and we got a TV slot. Anyway, on one of the local, you know, the six o'clock news programme. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, one of the guys, one of the guys in the Shalom group called Ivor, he heard Black, Brown and Beige. I think there was one day when I had two rehearsals in one day and they overlapped. I was rehearsing with the Shalom group and the girls were coming, and the Shalom group wanted to hear Black, Brown and Beige, right? And certainly wanted to clap eyes on those girls. <laughs> of course. And they heard us sing, and um, Iva, in particular, heard us a few times and said, Carol, I've got a friend called Harvey Lisberg. He manages Herman's Hermits. I'm going to tell Harvey all about you. Mm. We went there, 19th of March, went to Harvey's, made a tape which he will take to EMI, hmm. London. That was a Sunday. And my entry on the Monday is, I'm very tired, but I can't help thinking, dot, 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 in green. <laughs> yeah. How exciting. On the Wednesday of that week, we went to Mavis's to rehearse and Harvey phoned, EMI like us. Cabaret, recordings, fame, in brackets. <laughs> yeah. You'll be daft. Oh, so, so you have an, inter an internal dialogue with yourself. Is this, could this really happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that must so have been incredibly so, exciting. So, yeah. so things are moving quickly, right? Very quickly, because the next day, Thursday the 23rd, actually what I need to do is kind of tick these off so I know I'm addressing yes. everything. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Let's not Thursday, skip. Yeah, sorry. Because this is so exciting. Thursday <laughs> the 23rd, went to Nance with Mavis. Harvey and Graham Goulman came round. They want to tape, because that's what you called it in those days. Yes. They want to tape the French song. We have a French song called Toute ma vie, All My Life. Yeah. Toute ma vie est comme une ombre 
et plein de chagrin dans un espace énorme, immense. And then the next day, I must have spoken to Iva, who introduced us to Harvey. Iva is pleased at our success. So that's lovely. I've acknowledged Iva. He lives yeah. in he lives in Jerusalem now. And we're still in touch. Oh, that's nice to hear. Great, it. great. In it's, fact, it's in fact, he will love to hear this podcast. I'm sure. Um, well, hello, Ivor. Hello, um, yes. Good greetings. Well, welcome from... to the fold. The next thing that happened was on the 28th of March. So it's only five days later that we went to Graham's house for the first time ah. to record, and detailed in green. 11.30 a.m. Went to Graham's house in Salford, recorded French song. Now, when you say Graham's house, was he still living with his parents or did he have his own place? This is uh, in Kingston, Salford, yeah? In Kingston Grove, I think it's called. Uh -huh. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, so he was still living with Jaime and Betty at that point? Yes. Wow. Tell, yes. Us, about, tell us about Graham's... A recording room, which I guess is his bedroom that he kind of purposed as a studio, is that right? It, it must have been. Upstairs every night But there's a boy listening to his radio Downstairs just one flight A girl waits patiently I know the house and I can remember being in there. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how we recorded in there. I haven't right. got... I haven't yeah, got a yeah. visual memory of that, unfortunately. Okay. I can remember the inside of the house, but I can't. I I, I can't actually. There are some memories that are very very powerful, but yes. I can't. I can't actually remember that. Okay. I, no, I no just problem. know. It, I just know it happened because it's written down. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. And how did the tape come out? Was were you happy with the with your demo? Well, I would have been. We would have been absolutely thrilled because. We'd never had that experience before. I mean, when we rehearsed at my house, Daddy would record us um, and we would hear it back. But of course, Graham would have the skills that he would be um, developing at the time of mm. how to record and how to balance things. Mm. So whether he had a little mixer or not, but I mean, I would have looked at all that equipment and not understood it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I would have understood the reels going round because Daddy yes. had one of those. And yeah. Daddy used to do something really clever in the back room. We had a kind of chandelier sort of light fitting and Daddy used to um, hook the microphone over the chandelier. And we all used to sort of be in a circle round it ah. and he used to get great recordings. You know, oh, wow. but wow. it was just it was just something that you in your early amateur way that yeah. you you learned how to do that. Yeah, that's fantastic, and the fact that it's a chandelier makes it even more glamorous, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Upstairs, mm, downstairs. Now, here's a very important entry, which is very, very, very clear in my mind. In fact, I've told Paul about this. I had a collection of two peas. <laughs> and I ran down the road to the local phone box because I didn't want to use the house phone. And actually, we weren't allowed to use the house phone. <laughs> yes. Well, strict. <laughs> okay. 
And I rang Graham's number. It was the first time I'd been brave enough to ring him up. Yeah. To talk about chords. <laughs> to talk about what chords he used in which songs and how he used chords. And we had a really, really lovely conversation, probably until all my two peas ran out. <laughs> yeah, we well believe that, Carol. We, Paul it's, and I have spoken to Graham about chords on yeah, it's numerous funny. You, occasions. That's amazing. You, you were basically doing our podcast like yeah. 55 years before. It's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> How fantastic. And it was a great conversation. And I knew how much music there was inside me. Yes. But I didn't know how it was going to come out. I didn't know I was going to be a bass player. Right. Because the day I discovered I was going to be a bass player, it was like I'd been handed a golden key that unlocked the door to the rest of my musical life. Wow. Right. But I didn't know then that I was going to be a bass player. But right. I knew there was all this music inside me that needed to come out. And I didn't know how it was going to come out. But I knew when I watched and listened to Graham that he had this incredible music and he had a pathway. He had an avenue. He had a release for it. Right. He knew how, he, even though he was only just learning himself, it was mm -hmm. his early days. Yeah. Um, and I knew that if I had conversations with him, that perhaps... Would any of it rub off on me? Would I learn from him? What, what would I gain? I would definitely gain something. So that's why standing that day in that call box was right. really important to me. Behind the door of every house, in every street, in every town, a story is unfolding. A story is unfolding. Of love and hate, remorseless fate, of hopes and fears, and smiles and tears, of dreams that lie mouldering. My next entry is on the 11th of April. Right. When we go back to Graham's house. I don't know why I can't, rem I don't know why I can't remember this because I've been in Graham's house, you know, at least half a dozen times. Yeah. But we went to record the ballad, the ballad of the shape of things. Aha, uh -huh. right. now there's okay. a familiar title, Carol. Right. right, but I was going to also tell you on that occasion, I met Jaime and had oh. a wonderful conversation with him. Right. Oh, well, can you remember anything about that? We were talking about um, being Jewish, our backgrounds. I told him about my family. Mm -hmm. um, he talked about, um, I asked him about his writing and he and Betty, oh, Betty was so gorgeous to me because mm. um, we met many times, even when, you know, because Betty stayed in Manchester for many, many years, even when Graham was famous and touring, was living in London. When Betty was still in Manchester, if we ever bumped into each other, we'd always have the most wonderful conversations. Mm. Then ultimately, of course, Graham wanted his mum close by, of course. Um, yeah. And then she went to London. Um, mm. But on the 11th, we have gone to Graham's to record the ballad. And on that day, I've written in green, so I phoned Harvey 
So I went, to, we went to Graham's to record ballad, met his dad. They are really serious. Mm. Right. Because I just wondered if they were still playing with this or looking at the girls thinking, oh, they're lovely, these girls, aren't they? No, they are really serious. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't think that about me. I thought they were thinking that about the other two. Right. <laughs> okay. And then I've put, what are they talking about? TV, London Palladium, America, wow. question mark, question mark, question mark. Wow. Yeah. Had all those things cropped up in the conversation. And then, my next entry is the funniest thing, but it refers to a radio broadcast we did earlier in the year. Okay. And it says, received £7.17 shillings and sixpence from the BBC. Wow. Session fees then for, for appearing on... We'd, we'd record... I don't know if you can see it. It's at the top of that page. Yes, just about. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, everything was logged, wasn't it? Yeah. And anybody yeah. who performed, you know, as a performer on the and was broadcast was paid. So um, I'm... And the, ne- and the next day I discovered that I've got my English results and I've passed my use of English. So these were A-levels? Yeah. Right. Wow. So you were having a busy time at that point. <laughs> it, I can't believe. And I've crammed so much into every day. Um, so the next... and Right, now the next important thing, and then we're right. going to um, listen. Mm. Yes, we are. The next important thing happens on the 16th of April. <laughs> I wish we Take could... Uh, I wish our, our listeners could see your face here, Carol. It just lit yeah. up. Amazing. Yes. And on the 16th of April, we went to Harvey's and the people who were there were Graham, Pete Cowup, and the Hermits, Hmm. Keith Hotwood and Leckenby. Wow. That's quite a collection of people. And in my... I'll read you exactly what I've written in green. (laughs) They taught us a new song. Mm. And this is recorded on a Sunday afternoon. Ah, uh, yes. Which, of course, we, we know and love. Now, this is a song w- that you actually collaborated. All the people in that room basically uh, created that, this song. Is that correct? That was my memory, Right. Paul. Okay. That was okay. my memory. But it says, it says here... Taught us new song. Right. Okay. So I think they had the song, but we learnt it and put our harmonies to it. Wow. Right. Okay. So do we assume it's a, a, a Graham song, do you think? I think it's a hermit song. Okay. I think because I've mentioned Keith Hotwood. Yes. Was he the guitarist of Hermits? I'm not sure. Or was I think so. Uh, I know I got really friendly with um, Derek Leckenby, Leck right. Leckenby, and right. I got to know his younger brother, and um, I went out with Colin. We had lots of fun together. Okay. Uh, okay. He was, he was lovely. Um, he was a lovely, lovely friend. Um, so I got to know the Leckenbys reasonably well. Um, yeah. But Keith, I think he's only mentioned in my diary once, so he was there that day. Okay. Um, taught us a new song. 
uh, Harvey was very proud of us mm. oh, because nice. we learned it. We put our harmonies to it straight away. Yes, right. And so then that... I put yeah, and I put Hermit's lighters too. Okay, fabulous. So I think that day, that Sunday afternoon, we really, and then on the Monday, thought about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how long before you're in the studio recording that acetate that we uh, we were spinning uh, in in this room uh, a week ago. That'll be in the I've, diary, I'm sure. I've got it written down, yeah. but I want, to hear, I want to hear the song now. Yeah, let's, oh, let's hear it. Let's, okay, we, which, we one, hear which one do you want to hear first um, of those I two? I want to hear the recorded on the Sunday afternoon. Okay. Please. We're very, very proud to be able to share this with you. I, I, I have to say that those acetates being very old, Carol, very fragile and, and quite grubby, a couple of them. I think they've been probably handed around the studio and um, and handled to death. We were very, very careful just giving them a bit of a clean. Um, and um, they're very scratchy, but my oh my, uh, have they got some wonderful sounds on. So here we are, the very, very top of, of our list uh, is this very song recorded on a Sunday afternoon by Black, Brown and Beige. Enjoy. <laughs> That's quite something, isn't it, eh? There you go. 
You're lost for words, Carol. That <laughs> is unusual, I must admit. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, honestly, I'm it was, you it was such a joy to see you literally bouncing up and down listening to that, Carol. Yeah, well, singing along every word, yeah. which, was, which was, was, was incredible. And that verse I'd forgotten. As soon right. as I heard the first line, do you remember me telling you, Paul, that yeah, I couldn't yeah, there was a, a right. verse I couldn't remember? You've yeah. been seen. Yeah, yeah. Scene with someone else in town. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I love that scene, especially when you, you told us the story of phoning Graham from the phone box with your bag of two peas. Um, and, there, and there it is in the song. You know, you, you're creating a, a queue behind oh, you of people yeah. standing in the rain because you, you're yapping about chords. Brilliant. Exactly. That <laughs> seems to indicate that somehow, though, that experience was put into the lyrics. So maybe, maybe they. Could you have contributed the lyric ideas, do you think? Maybe that's what happened. My memory is that we were all contributing. Mm. Um, mm. And there are some, there's part of the lyric a couple of times where there's a little bit of innuendo, <laughs> which if you want to look at it that way, I mean, but the boys found it very funny. Right. And we were like trying not to be embarrassed. Um, and we wouldn't have contributed anything like that because we were proper and refined. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Um, but the phone box, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, tell, but, us, tell us about the band in the, in the studio, Carol. Who, who can you remember uh, playing on that? And where were you? Where was it recorded? It was recorded at EMI. Mm. This is now the 23rd of April. So when you say EMI, does that mean Abbey Road? I don't know. That's all I've written. Um, ah. so, so in London, for a start? You, 23rd, you were... Sunday the 23rd of April, went to London on the train, recorded ballad, and I've called it H-Song, and that will refer to the Hermit's song. Yes. It's oh, written yes, by yes. the Hermit's and, and H-Song at EMI. Successful, I hope. Mm. Harvey came back with me. It's funny that I put Harvey came back with me. Maybe mm, the right. others travelled. Surely we'd have all travelled together. Maybe they stayed in London. Did they have any family down there? I don't know. Yes, they did because most of the Armenian community um, oh. is in London, and Nani would possibly have stayed. Okay. Now, what is interesting here, Carol, just putting two and two together maybe more research for us. It sounds like if you're talking about EMI, then it might, may well have been Abbey Road. Graham in, might remember. In yes. which case, Abbey Road or EMI are well known for their brilliant kind of record keeping. So we may be able to track that session down. So are um, you telling me that we could have recorded that where the, in the same studio that the Beatles had just been in? And you well, didn't there's know. A, well, well, there's, well, a, there's only there's only three studios at Abbey Road. One is used for orchestral, so it yeah. wouldn't have been that. So it would have either been two or three, and the Beatles were recording Sgt Pepper in two, and Pink Floyd were recording Piper at the Gates of Dawn in three. So... Uh, you might have, you know, passed them in the corridor. I mean, we'll, we'll I'll do, I'll definitely want to get to the bottom of this. And, sure. And, and did, did EMI also rent out other studios, you know, whether it's, you know, Island Records, Studio Paul or Olympic mm. or Psalm or places like that? A little uh, bit later on in the story, I've mentioned mm. recording at Olympic. Right. Okay. Yes. But, but this time I've just put EMI. That's all I've put. 
Yeah, and well, it's, um, of course, Abbey Road Studios weren't known as Abbey Road Studios until the Beatles made them famous with the album. They were they they were called EMI Studios. Yep. So that's why I think it probably I, was. We would have got off the train and Harvey would have got a taxi and we'd have been yeah. taken straight there. Yeah, yeah you would have been. We known. wouldn't even think, <laughs> you know, we yeah. wouldn't even think about... It's wonderful. It is. Uh, but I, I think it's a cracking, it's a cracking recording. You know, I think the the band sound great. It sound great. Is it a great song? Do you think that's so, Her, Herman's Hermits? Your backing, your backing band on that is Graham in there as well? Do you think? There were session guys. Yeah. And right. the 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 session, the musician that I was most aware of, um, and fascinated um, by was the twelve string guitarist. Oh. Right. That, Diddling, ding, diddling, ding, 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 diddling, ding, diddling, ding, ding, ding. Mm, I'm sure yeah. that is a twelve-string guitar, right. and I was, I was absolutely in awe of that <laughs> because I'd, I'd not seen anything like that. I don't think I even, I might have been saying, how many strings is that guitar? I may not, I might yeah. not have. I probably had in the folk world because people, yes. obviously, in the sixties had twelve-string guitars, um, and a little bit later on in the story. I decide to buy a 12 string guitar, but I don't know if I should or not. But hmm. Graham advises me. And okay. Graham tries the guitar and tells me he likes it. And there's one entry where Graham and I have gone to a music shop together to look at guitars. Wow. Right. So, um, so I was just, so, so the session players had obviously, somebody had done the charts for this song. Because exactly. you went in and they, they did the backing, right? Exactly. Someone had written it out. Someone's written all the parts. I mean, I can, I wouldn't have been aware at the time because I wasn't that aware. It was it was two things that made me aware of the bass guitar. One was Sergeant Paul McCartney's things like uh, Lady Madonna and mm-hmm. um, very very iconic. You see, the the reason why why was I not aware of the bass guitar in those days? You listen to music on a tiny little transistor radio. Yeah, you can't or, hear the bass, can you? Or a Dunset record player. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't hear the bass. <laughs> yes. So it was only, I think, one time in Harvey's office that I, I heard, uh, oh, that's what the bass does. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, that's what the left hand of the piano does. Oh, right. did someone tell me that was the bottom four strings of a guitar? Oh. Uh, and when I'm right doing my A-level harmony paper, oh, that's the bass line. Mm. Oh, is that what that does? Right. And is that what's used? <laughs> so I'm, I'm outlining, yes. understanding for the first time what the role of a bass is right. in in modern music as it was then. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's that it's that strange instrument that gets everybody magically dancing, isn't it? The bass guitar. Oh, <laughs> it's. I mean, recently I've read um, Sting's autobiography, mm-hmm. and reading what Sting has to say about the bass. Is just, in fact, in uh, the recent um, filming that I've been doing, I've been asked to talk about the bass and why I play the bass and who's inspired me. Mm-hmm. And the three bass players who've inspired my life as a bass player are Graham Goulman, Paul McCartney, and Sting. Yeah. And, yeah. Carol, and Carol Kay, of course. Of course, yeah. I-
Please, um, can I hear? Um, because it's the same. It's the you same. Want hear, the you shape. want to hear ballad? The, the ballad yeah. of the shape of things. Were, were they recorded at the same session, Carol? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, because uh, 23rd of April, went to London on train, recorded ballad and H song for yeah, right. BMI. Successful, I hope. Harvey came back with me. Got you. Now, just before we play the song, Sean, this this is a song, of course, that, that is well known. Uh, the Ballad of the Shape of Things, written by Sheldon Harnick. I'm sure you know this, Carol, who, of course, was fit, uh, famous, amongst other things, for, for the, his work on Fiddler on the Roof. Um, right. Uh, so he's an extremely well-established songwriter. Uh, and there is yet another Graham connection, of course, because Sunrise Sunset has just been re-recorded by Graham on his album No Words Today. Yes, yes. Oh, lovely. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so, I look forward to hearing that. So here we go, um, Black, Brown and Beige, the ballad. I've got the ballad of Shape of Things to Come. Is that is that too I, I long? Think, yeah. I think that the official title in the PRS is the ballad of the Shape of Things. Right, OK. I think I'm just going on what was written um, on, the acetate, on, on the label, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> what a unique piece of music that is. It, it's a fabulous <laughs> lyric, isn't it? Is, it? it is yes, so it. funny. It's oh. witty. It's dark ah. and surreal. Oh, I mean, oh, 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 oh. oh. It, listen, um, Michelle, yeah. come and join us, my love. <laughs> come and join us because the guys know how important you are on my journey. Um, would you put the kettle on for me, please? <laughs> oh, splendid. You, the best, I'm, I'm the best gonna... kind of friend. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a cup of tea. Completely round is the perfect pearl The oyster manufactures Completely round is the steering wheel That leads 
to compound fractures. Completely round is the golden fruit that hangs in the orange tree. Yes, the circle shape is quite renowned, and sad to say it can be found in the dirty low-down runaround my true love gave to me. Yes, my true love gave to me. Yeah, I can hear. It's obviously the same session. Um, I'm really enthralled by how well we sang. Oh, yes. The vocals are great. Those harmonies, uh, you know, the, the third line of the verse, when, you, when the three-part harmony yeah. comes in, such a lovely, rich, pure sound. It reminded me of, like, the Seekers or something like that. Do you know what I mean? That lovely, yeah. pure sound. Well, the Seekers are going to crop up. Ah. In, in, so, so, yeah, so that's, you know, that you've kind of preempted something that's ah. going to happen, actually. How exciting. Sure. Um, but, no, I was thinking, because I'm recording at the moment, and I'm so interested to hear my own voice, because I always felt that out of the three of us, I have the weakest voice. Because um, Nanique, obviously, is a stronger vocalist. Mavis has got that glorious sound on the top, you know, mm. Like a bell, and and my voice wasn't as confident because I wasn't a lead singer. Um, but I can actually hear something in my voice that I would never known at the time. That is almost yeah, you're going to be a jazz singer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, now almost hear something in the way I'm I'm I'm. But the other thing I'm amazed about there was no auto tune. Or pitch shifting in those. Oh no! Things. Of course no. we had to damn well sing in tune, <laughs> and, we, and we damn well did. Yeah. We, we did, um, we did, we sang in tune. That's absolutely, and I was very, sorry, Paul, I was very curious, Carol, that on, yeah. the, on the first tune we listened to today, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the interesting, more difficult uh, harmony was quite a lot quieter than the others in the mix. Do you think that was because you sang it, uh, you, you sang less confidently, less loudly, or was it just the way it was mixed? I think it was more a case of, I knew how the bass, we, we were so used to playing in the room without a PA, mm. but we learnt how to, or at least I did, learnt how to almost mix as you were singing live. You knew that... Yeah. Stand back or stand forward exactly, sort of thing. Exactly. You knew Because most of the time we performed in rooms where there was no PA, no microphones. We didn't know how to use microphones. You know, the, in fact, this, when we entered the cabaret world, this was this really went against us. We didn't know how to use technology. You know, we, we just mm. sang and played acoustic guitars. Um, mm. but, but naturally, you know, if you're mixing something yourself... Um, that the bottom harmony is is to add timbre and texture, it you know, and that the tune is the most important thing. Yes. So um, that was probably um, me naturally. It might have been the engineer. I, I don't know. Here's a little funny story that will make you laugh, and I think it would have happened on this session. Um, we actually we were so. I mean, we were just little girls. We didn't know anything, and when we started to record. We didn't know that we were just doing what they call today guide vocals. We thought right. we're singing, right? Yeah. And we and after all the instruments had been recorded, I think we took a break. We had a cup of tea, and Harvey said, "Right, we'll record the vocals now." <laughs> and we were like, "We've just done those." <laughs> what do you mean? We've just been singing all that time. <laughs> we yeah. didn't even know. We didn't even know that it was all done 
Um, and I can remember thinking, I can remember feeling, was like, cheated. Like, yeah. why, why didn't somebody tell us? But like, you're in London where everybody knows. And we've just come from Manchester on the train and we're just yeah. little girls and we don't know, you know? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> in my preparation I typed in the ballad of the shape of things and because we learned it from the Kingston trio yeah right? and now watching a YouTube the Kingston trio doing it it seems really really incongruous and I, I kind of almost didn't like it and I'm kind of thinking how did we learn the song in the first place where on earth did we hear it there was no YouTube there was nothing but how did we find the song I don't even know how we found the song but the, the other versions are Blossom Deary and I've only learned about Blossom Deary in my jazz life. Right. And she does an incredible version of it. And then the, I think the most recent version, Barbara Dixon did it. Oh, and she word. obviously listened to Blossom Deary because Barbara Dixon does it. But her pianist, um, if you see it on YouTube, it's just a, a grand piano and someone playing the piano and Barbara Dixon um, sort of acting it with all the funny bits. Yeah. Um, but the pianist is actually playing exactly what Blossom Deary played. Completely round is the perfect pearl the oyster manufactures. Completely round is the steering wheel that leads to compound fractures. Completely round is the golden fruit that hangs in the orange tree. Yes, the circle shape is quite renowned And sad to say it can be found In the dirty low-down run-around My true love gave to me My true love gave to me um, okay. So our version was really quite unique um, And the guys um, at Olympic had it's funny, the jazz versions have got different harmonies. You, you two are both great musicians and you'll hear this. If you listen to the other versions, you'll hear uh, different chord sequences. But actually the song doesn't need it because the song is just very, very silly, 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 funny yes. song. Yes. It's, it's as, when you were talking about the composer, it's almost as, it would never be the massive hit that, I thought you were going to say, hello mother, hello father. Yeah, it's got that mother. feel to it, isn't it? Da, yeah, da, yeah. Da. And it was of the era yes. when, in a way, it was of the era when you did get comedy songs in the hit parade, as it yeah. was called. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and the, the, what, Black, what Black, Brown and Beige managed to do, I don't know whether the humour came across that much in the recording because we're obviously trying to sing very well, but when we performed that in a room, it was like the past piece <laughs> you cannot imagine yeah. because the charisma that the three of us had between us anyway, both visually and vocally. I mean, yeah. you know, we'd always, in, in our folk world, before we went into cabaret, which wasn't right for us, and then that was the end, you know, sadly, but all things must pass, as the Beatles said, as George to Harrison said. To coin a phrase, yeah. yeah. as George Harrison said. But, you know, when we performed that in the room, I mean... 
and people were, you know, we did a lot of house parties and people, someone would be at a party, oh, will you come to sing at my party? Will you sing that song? We yeah. come to my party and sing that song. And that's what we did. Yeah. And everywhere we went, we sang that song. And everywhere we went, you know, and I'm it went down a storm. Game dropped, Tom Jones, um, all the people, um, Mickey Most, um, Pete Townsend, Jeff Beck. Hmm. You know, we sat on Mickey Most's desk and swung our legs. Like <laughs> that did. seems that and, seems to have been a theme in your performance. Yeah. <laughs> and I played our guitars, and anyone who was in visual or listening distance was knocked out. And then they was, and that was why you got Harvey. Yeah. These girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, EMI have long since been a kind of subsumed into the massive Universal Music Group, but it's it's lovely to see that the EMI archive are still very much like a cottage industry. They're approachable and they were really helpful with my request because, as we know, when your diary says EMI, that means Abbey Road Studios. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to read you, Carol, uh, the, re- the very nice reply from Jackie Bishop, uh, at the, who is manager of the EMI, EMI archive. And she says the following. Are you ready? Hi, Paul. I hope you are well. The recording session for Black, Brown and Beige took place at Abbey Road uh, in Studio 2 on Sunday, the 23rd of April, 1967, as you say, Carol, from 2.30 to 5.30. Produced by Tony Palmer, the balance engineer was Malcolm Addy, and the label was Columbia. We'll come back to that. I'll just read you the rest of the message. And it says, the titles were The Ballad of the Shape of Things, Untitled, Armenian Song, and French Song. I hope this helps you with your research. Good luck with your podcast. Regards, Jackie. Very nice reply there from the archive. So, Carol... <laughs> what do you remember? We found a picture of, of this guy on the right here, uh, alongside Georgie Fame and PJ Proby, who he also produced, an American producer called Tony Palmer, who was in charge that day. Do you remember this gentleman? Um, yes, and his name also crops up in my diary, ah. um, where um, Harvey says that he's going to listen to us and produce our session. I'm not sure whether I've actually written Tony Palmer's name on my notes anywhere, but I know his name, um, I'm sure if I look it up, if I read through my diary again really, really carefully, I will find his name because the name definitely rings the bell. Um, What I'm really interested in is that we recorded the Armenian song and the French song. Yes. And... Oh my goodness, I can't even begin to think. <laughs> oh, that is, is it possible? Do those recordings exist? Well, it would be wonderful if they do. Um, I mean, the, the, as we say, it's, it's definitely they were recorded, but what, what has happened to them, it's difficult to know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's lucky that we have the acetate that we do. Yes. And presumably untitled in that list of four songs must be recorded on a Sunday afternoon, I guess. Right. Um, so the Armenian song and the French song, I don't know. It would be great if they existed, but... I know, I know exactly what they are. Well, yeah, what are they then? Can you tell us? The Armenian song, if I think very carefully, I, I will remember the song... Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. 
but the French song is Toute ma vie, which I've re-recorded um, oh. over the past couple of years because the two that we have the acetates for, uh, the uh, ballad and the recorded on a Sunday afternoon was recorded by the uh, musicians in the studio. Um, yeah. The Armenian song and the French song, we would have played, it would have just been live acoustic. We'd have played our guitars, ah, and sound, okay. which we did nice. live, because that's what we did anyway. I played the guitar, Mavis played the guitar, we sang in three-part harmony, and we would have recorded it exactly as we would have performed it. Sure. I don't even recall if they'd have asked us to record our guitars first and then sung over it, which of course right. is the correct way to record. I, don't, I can't, that I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, because doing four full songs in a three hour session is pushing it. So light, so lightly those two songs you did to sort of demonstrate your versatility towards the end of the session, I suppose, yeah. Okay. But Paul, thank you, I agree. In these days, how would you ever get four songs done in a couple of hours? Yeah, we exactly. Were, we were very, very well rehearsed. Yes. I'm, sh I'm sure we you were. were. And let's, now, and let's face it, yeah, the, the Beatles who were recording in, in this very room that we can see on screen, Studio, yeah, do, Studio 2 at Abbey Road. Yeah, do you remember, this is an iconic room, I know there's a lot to, and it's a long time ago, but the, this, do you remember being down in that big area, the staircase going up to the control room? Did you ever go into the control room? I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm wondering whether we can somehow jog the recesses of your memory with these pictures. I know my main memory, let me just put my glasses back on. My sure. main memory is um, of, my main memory is of being in the vocal booth and being in an enclosed space, which of course okay. now, now I know is called a vocal booth. I didn't know that then. Um, yes. And uh, all being round one microphone. Okay. So the three of you were in a, in a sort of, uh, yeah, contained area and the rest of the musicians were elsewhere. Okay. Yes. Interesting. And we I don't recall going into the room where the musicians were recording. All right. I, I only recall um I only recall because obviously young and experienced girls, we weren't gonna start going wandering around the place and exploring yes, of course. or anything like that. Yeah, we were we were kind of we just stayed where we were put, if you like. It's 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 fascinating. I'm so glad that we are, that we've we've been able to sort of find this documentation um, about the 23rd of April 1967. You asked, or we sort of talked about the Beatles, and did you brush past them in the corridor? Mm. We've all, well, the answer is not quite, but you you missed them by 48 hours on either side because on the 21st of April they put the finishing touches to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, Arts Club Band in the same studio, Studio 2. That was quite a notorious session. They'd finished most of the work. They came back to record, you probably remember this, Carol, I'm sure you had the album. On the original LP, there's a kind of run-out groove, which with this kind of bit, this gibberish that, that only goes on for a couple of seconds, but they spent hours recording that and just generally mucking around. And then, and then they were back in there uh, the following, because you went in on the Sunday, they were back in on the following Tuesday working on Magical Mystery Tour, the song. You really did just miss them. It's incredible, isn't it? I have an entry later on. Oh, right. where we were all, which I'll come to, 
where um, Black, Brown and Beige were recording at Granada Studios in Manchester. Um, right. And the Beatles were in Granada Studio at the time, hmm. but we were in the newsroom because we were recording for a programme called First Timers. Um, right. And Harvey had secured us a spot on First Timers. And we just, it was like, you know, after the news, uh, Northwest, look, Northwest or whatever it's called, Scene at 6.30 it was called, Scene at 6.30. Oh, and here's a local group singing a song. So we were like in a corner of the studio. We were live. We knew the Beatles because we couldn't get up the front steps mm. to Granada <laughs> because it was the steps were full of screaming girls. I was saying, Harvey, what's... And Harvey said, the Beatles are in here. We're, can we meet them? Can we meet them? Can we meet them? And Harvey said, yes, we can meet them. But he said, for now, come on, just focus, girls. Get yourselves around this mic. Get yourselves, get your guitars tuned up. Get yourselves ready. You know, you'll, because we had to sit through the whole programme, the news item. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then be ready but because... There were four corners of the room where the different newscasters were. The director was in the middle with the camera. And then when it was our turn to perform, the camera swung round to us. So we had to be silent and we had to be ready. And we had to, so we couldn't be thinking, we're going to meet the Beatles, we're going to meet the Beatles. And after we finished, because we went out live, after we finished, Harvey, 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 we're going to beat the Beatles. And Harvey said, Security took them out by the back door. They've gone. Oh, oh how disappointing. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. But my attitude was, never mind. Next time. Yeah. So what happened after that day? Um, and this is a great entry because I can forgive myself now for not remembering who wrote uh, recorded on a Sunday afternoon mm, because right. we were at Harvest on the 16th of April uh, where the Hermits were with Graham. And then two weeks later, on the 27th of April, this is only a few days after we'd been in London, Yeah, Harvey invites us to his, his house to meet Tom Jones ah. and Wayne Fontana and his wife. Wow. Mm. <laughs> and I think that I think the Mindbenders might have been there as well. And I think because it's all in the same month, my memory takes me back to being in Harvey's beautiful L-shaped lounge on Ringley Road, as mm-hmm. I remember it, and just remembering all these famous people being there and, you know, little black, brown and beige just sitting there with our guitars, mm-hmm. just quietly waiting to be asked to sing for these famous people. Um, wow. How so- wonderful. And... Um- and, and of course, the Mindbenders with their, their gorgeous young guitarist. Oh, of course, absolutely. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I, I actually thought that was where I met Eric Stewart. I don't really know if I have met Eric. So the day after the day after the twenty third, the twenty fourth. <laughs> I had my French orals because, of course, I'm doing my A-levels at the same oh, time. Oh, wow. yes. So, so you took an A-level the day after the yeah. recording session. Yeah, that so is... <laughs> yeah, and it was French. So I was probably practising my... Because having, you know, um, recorded it recently, I've had to get my French back up to scratch. Absolutely, conjugating the subjunctive um, correctly. (laughs) Yes, I've been there. I I did French A-level. I went to uni and did French. So you have my my grave sympathies there. 
Oh, I'll send you my French song, Sean. Merci. I mean, although I'd really love to hear it the way Black, Brown and Beige did it, but I can send you my new recording, which I've, because it was written in the 60s, uh, the studio have, he, bless his heart, lol, my engineer, he even got um, a 60s kit for me so that it would sound really, really oh, wow. authentic. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but on the lol, that's, that's not lol cream, obviously. No, it's, this is uh, lol, it's uh, lol Harris, Lollipop okay. Studios oh, of nice. uh, uh, Crumpsall in Manchester. He's my um, recording producer and engineer and wonderful musician. He's doing everything for me at the moment. Um, oh, wonderful. Je veux bien. Je te remercie. Oh, oui. Yes. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> yes. Oh. So um, that was the next day. Um, I put dictation was hard, but the orals were okay. <laughs> Harvey phoned. Peter Pritchard from Grades is coming to see us. That's interesting. Then the next day, can't keep up with the way things move. Harvey phoned. It's on. Ooh. Right. So, so's the disc. So oh. a lot of these are, you know, very cryptic, like it's going ahead. Yes, yes. I've got my green pen and I have to fit it all in. In that day, 26, Peter Pritchard from Grades likes us. He must have come and actually seen us. Right. Was, Grades, um, was Grades a record label? Grades <laughs> is Lou Grade. Oh, I see. Lou right, Grade, yeah. ITV's, ITV's Lou Grade. Yeah, wow. ITV's Lou Grade. So this is Peter Pritchard, probably, uh, what would you call him? The talent scout or whatever. Uh, right. Or what do they call it these days? Researcher. You'll call them researchers these days, don't they? I know, because I've been researched, yes. Okay, so um, Peter Pritchard from Grades likes us very much and can get his TV. Harvey gave us a lift in his Cadillac and invited us, this is from my diary, and invited us, 27th Thursday, to meet Tom Jones at his house. Wayne Fontana and wife also there. Lovely. (laughs) Next day. Friday the 28th, Tom is gorgeous. <laughs> right. Lovely. Well, we all know that, don't we? So 20, yeah. 20 I'm, more an, I'm more of an Eric Stewart man myself, I have to say. <laughs> but anyway. on to the 29th. Went to Nan's. She had a cold. Then oh. we went to Fletcher Moss, which is a lovely park. In oh, Disney. yes. You know, we know it well. I don't know why. Harvey came with two others. I don't know whether he came to Fletcher Moss. I don't think they did. Uh, he took us to Milverton Lodge to see Tom Jones. Mm. We sang for him and he was very impressed. Got his autograph for Joanne, my sister. So we spent a whole afternoon with Tom. And it's so funny. We, I've looked for this entry in my diary before. Mm. Thinking, how could I? I knew it was a Saturday afternoon. How could I not have written this down? Because we were every time I passed Milverton Lodge, which then became something else, and I think currently it's called the Rampant Lion. And when I um, drive down Upper Brook Street, as if I'm going to Lady Barn, Fallowfield, mm. and I look at the hotel on the left, I always look up at the bedroom window which was Tom's room. It had two single beds in it for Tom and his road manager, his roadie, who was called Chris. Right. And we sat, black, brown and beige, sat on the beds and 
sang for Tom and with Harvey. Harvey was there, of course. Harvey wouldn't leave us anywhere. Mm. Um, yeah. And we sang for Tom all afternoon. We just sang and sang and sang all our songs from all over the world. And Tom was, he was, he was enthralled. Where does it say he loved us? Um, he was, he was, Tom was very impressed. Tom was very impressed. But how, if we'd have only had phones or anything like that in those days, there is nothing. I mean, that every detail of that afternoon is in my mind because it was so iconic. Also, it was only when we sang a Welsh folk song, he joined in with us. Wow. I was, I was going to say, because you've got such a wide, worldwide musical knowledge. Yes. We so, collected. So. Well, this was Black, Brown and Beige. We sang in Armenian, we sang in Hebrew, we sang in French, we sang in Turkish, we sang um, songs, um, Four Strong Winds, a uh, Canadian folk song. We oh, sang, yes. um, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary songs, because of course, the, Peter, Paul and Mary, that had been my idols. It was their three-part harmony. Um, and we knew this beautiful Welsh folk song called Two Brothers. And it's about two brothers who go off to war and one of them doesn't come back. I knew that was coming. <laughs> but there are two girls waiting. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And it's Tom enough. joined in and sang with us. Because oh. he knew the song, obviously. Yeah. My hand blood burned harder and only me brought rabbit and taught young and walk on over Well, it's an amazing musical project. I mean, one can see what what you and Harvey were, were trying to do, placing you as a quite an yeah. innovative, world, unique... World music. World music in its formative stages, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. We were, we, were, we were... It was so hard for Harvey because we were a very, very unique product. And it mm. was... Even though the charts in those days were far more diverse than they are now. I yeah, mean, you definitely. know, you could get, you did get comedy songs in the charts. You know, you did get fun things going on. You did get different things. But it, if I think back now, where, where would we have fitted in? If perhaps if we'd been in America, there'd have been, we'd have been more in the folk scene there. So moving on, because this is really interesting now. Moving okay. on, so the 27th, we met Tom at Harvey's house. On the 29th, we spent that afternoon at Milverton Lodge and we sang for Tom and spent the afternoon there. Mm -hmm. But on the 2nd of May, bad news. Oh. Harvey phoned, EMI won't release the song. Oh. We went round and heard the demos. I just put, okay. Okay, heard mm -hmm. the demos. I just put, okay. Went to Graham's and heard his new song, but I don't say what it is. Ooh. Harvey, but I'll do later on. Okay. Harvey, okay. And then Harvey took us to the phonograph, which was the nightclub. That's where all the, mo all the top models, and um, the glitterati of Manchester, all the pop stars, all the wannabe pop stars. Yeah. Everybody yeah. went to the phonograph, right? Okay, and we put uh, the guy, the guy uh, all, they were all there. Graham was there and Harvey was there. Everybody was there. Oh, yeah, because Harvey took us. Harvey took us there. Yeah. So can I just start going back to this the question of the record not being released and, and maybe you'll 
be able to answer this from later entries in the diary. Because the EMI archive says quite clearly here the label was Columbia, which surprises me. Do you know anything about that? And and like who, how, who it who you were signed with or any, anything like that. That's confusing. I don't know. Me. I don't know any of that because all the business side of things, Harvey would be in control of and yeah. Harvey wouldn't necessarily divulge all that information to us. He would mm. probably feel that we didn't need to know, um, but we completely trusted Harvey. Yes. So any deals that he may or may, well, as it happened, may not make, we 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 were completely we 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 completely trusted him. By this mm. stage, all our parents had met Harvey. Yes, and, and they, um, they approved. I, I take it. Uh, absolutely. Great. They they trusted because they knew that wherever Harvey was taking us, um, remember we were quite young. Uh, well, not by today's standards, but we were young in those yeah. days. Eighteen was young, um, yeah. and they trusted that Harvey was looking after us, and Harvey did. It, it, Harvey never took us anywhere and left us. He was mm-hmm. always, he even, when I think about it now, whoever wanted to talk to us, Harvey would be, you know, he, Harvey would be, you know, we'd be in his peripheral vision. He always yeah. looked after us. No, absolutely. He, amongst other things, he was your, he was chaperoning you, basically, making sure that you were looked after. Yeah. Yes, because probably our parents would have spoken to him privately out yes. of our earshot saying, look, you know, look after these Look after these yeah. girls. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's interesting, Carol, just as a, a very brief side note, we met Harvey's son, Philip, recently at the Strawberry Studios Forever gig in September. And, and he was not chaperoning, but very much a guardian for his ward, you know, uh, Selket, who recorded at Strawberry uh, back in 71. And he, so who was that? Selket, who, who took part in an album uh, called Ramesses, Space Hymns. So she, you know, some 50 years ago recorded at Strawberry and uh, has fallen under Philip Lisberg's wing. And he had exactly that extremely careful, respectful, um, solicitous treatment of his client. And it was lovely to see. I mean, Very caring. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, it was like seeing Harvey, you know, a, a younger version of, basically. So I just wanted to throw that in. Can I also ask, and Paul, this is going back to what you said a couple of minutes ago, um, if if the band were signed to Columbia, did did, did the record actually come out a, no. at all? No. Okay. It may have been. It may have been. I mean, a lot of one-off deals were done in those days. We've yeah. seen a lot of sort of examples of you know pro, you know ten cc related projects just being on a label as a, as a one-off. So maybe. Um, it's interesting that it was written down, you know, at the time that the label was Columbia, but um, yeah. mm-hmm. but we don't we don't you really see, know. We, we would have had absolute faith in Harvey, and if Harvey said something's going to happen, someone's going to see you. It did, and if Harvey sure. said something's not going to happen, we didn't. You know, obviously we'd we'd be disappointed, but we'd yeah. Harvey would never. It's funny because there's an entry coming up that will really make you smile. <laughs> Harvey was always very. Um, sort of very sweet with us and very optimistic with us and very, he, you know, his, his, his view was if that's a disappointment, leave it behind, let's move on, mm-hmm. you know. So we wouldn't have questioned or queried, we'd have just said, because our attitude, like missing the Beatles, oh, well, we'll see them next time, yes. you know, because yeah. we were so full of who we were, what we were and what we were going to do. You yeah, know? absolutely, the, gla- the glass was almost completely full all of oh. the time. Yeah. Oh, that's great, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. 
So after the 2nd of May, when we'd had bad news, um, on the 3rd of May, there's been a turnaround. Yeah. And it says EMI will release on May the 19th, as arranged. Wow. Phew, I've written P-H-E-W. Um, <laughs> Harvey phones, but we're recording tomorrow. Right. So that these are, this is my diary. This is not in my, my uh, notes. But then on the next day, May, May the 4th, Thursday, terrible throat infection, that's me, and got a lot of new pills. So I must have, had, I must have been given antibiotics. Harvey couldn't do the recording tonight, which was probably just as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh, I was seeing a French guy at the time, and he oh, ran okay. Oh, la, la. <laughs> oh, oh wow, as if your life wasn't full enough. You had an el- romance was in the air as well. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I know he was a lot older than me and my mum was very worried about it. But okay. I said, but mummy, I am studying French. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, of course, as one's diary would, the next day, of course, I must be fully over my throat infection because I'm playing tennis. Right, so let's move on. Uh, so... <laughs> But this is, this is very interesting because this refers to the 6th of May. Long discussions with Graham. And these are my actual words. He lives music. Mm. He lives for his music. And his favorite chords are major sevenths and minor sevenths. <laughs> and we were all at his recent acoustic concert and we would have heard lots of yeah. May 7th and minor 7th. Not all. So on the 6th of May, uh, 1967, I'm still picking his brains because I just want to know more about music. Down your number, never can get through. Outside been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening